Welcome to the Commercial Intelligence Briefing Podcast, brought to you by NAR Commercial, the National Association of Realtors. What's the role that emerging employment and business dynamics will play in transforming and reimagining suburban office stock? That's the subject of a new report from Rutgers University, Reinventing the New Jersey Economy, New Metropolitan and Regional Employment Dynamics. We'll speak with Dr. James Hughes, Dean of the Edward J. Blaustein School of Planning and Public Policy at Rutgers University, one of the authors of the study, in this edition of the Commercial Intelligence Briefing Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Lubetkin. Dr. James Hughes is the Dean of the Edward J. Blaustein School of Planning and Public Policy at Rutgers University. He's been a member of the faculty there since 1971 and became dean in 1995. He's a nationally recognized academic expert on demographics, housing, and regional economics, and was a contributing editor to the magazine American Demographics. In his latest study, co-authored with Rutgers professor Joseph Seneca, the two examined the necessity of transforming and reimagining suburban office stock to take into account the changes in employment and business dynamics. In the report, professors Seneca and Hughes trace the long-term forces changing the shape of regional economic growth. They examine whether trends that have been in existence for the last half century have now been reversed by fundamental changes in locational preferences for office facilities. We spoke with Dr. Hughes in his office in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Jim, thanks for joining us on the NAR Commercial Intelligence Briefing Podcast. It's my pleasure. Jim, in your report, you talked about New Jersey's office space trends over the past century and a half, and you discovered two major economic transformations in New Jersey that led to different ways of doing business. Can you talk a little bit about those, and then we'll talk about some of the newer trends that you've discerned. Yeah, at the end of the 19th century, New Jersey sort of awoke and found out that an agricultural economy had been transformed into, at that time, a high-technology urban manufacturing economy. Uh, And that really set the stage for the first half of the 20th century uh, and beyond. in the, late ni- in the late 1970s, 1980s, a second transformation started, uh, which reached its peak uh, at the uh, last years of the 20th century, uh, 100 years right after the first transformation. And at that point, New Jersey had become basically a high-technology, suburban, uh, knowledge-based post-industrial uh, economy. So we had two major transformations which drove the prosperity of New Jersey for more than a century. Now, in the area immediately after World War II, the post-war era, you identified a post-war affluence and residential suburbanization trend for about 20 years. Yeah, but after, just after uh, the end uh, of World War II, Uh, G.I. Joe and Rosie the Riveter got together. Uh, New Jersey went into heat. At that point, the great baby boom started, which lasted for 18 years, and we produced the largest generation ever uh, in U.S. history, in New Jersey history. Uh, And that drove suburbanization. That baby boom had to be housed, it had to be raised. And for that 1945 uh, to 1970 period, uh, New Jersey really became 
became one of the great suburban areas uh, of the United States. We had middle-class child-rearing households leaving New York City, leaving Philadelphia, uh, and settling uh, in New Jersey. Uh, in fact, from 1950 to 1970, New Jersey added a million Levittown-style dwellings. Uh, that's a thousand per week for a thousand straight weeks. And that really drove the economy of the state. Uh, it was driven by home building. It was driven by jobs uh, and industries catering to that suburbanization process, uh, whether it was retailing, whether it was the production of consumer goods, uh, such as refrigerators, televisions, uh, and the like. And that was really a remarkable transformation for the physical shape of the state. It had some significant implications for the way office space developed in New Jersey. Yeah. At, in that period, most of the offices were relatively small. Uh, they were geared to providing services to the new suburban residents. So these were small buildings that would house doctors, lawyers, uh, and other types uh, of uh, service employment. Again, population-serving employment for the most part. And so what happened between the end of that segment of time and the decade that you call the decade of unanticipated change beginning around 1970? Well, basically, that first period was really driven by U.S. economic hegemony. All of our economic competitors were wounded grievously during World War II, so there was no global competition at all. So it was just a, uh, an era of ever-rising living standards in the United States uh, and New Jersey. Uh, however, by about 1970, uh, some of our competitors, Japan, Germany, uh, had righted themselves, began to challenge us in automobiles, consumer electronics, and the like. Uh, and then we had the oil crises of the 70s, which really changed uh, uh, the cost structures uh, in the United States and New Jersey. Uh, and so at that point, uh, manufacturing uh, in the state started to wane. Uh, the rise of the Sun Belt on a national scale was a major phenomenon. Uh, and the end result was we had an economy that was in transition uh, at that point in time. We were still getting growth, uh, but not to the scale that we had had earlier. And then around 1980, uh, a new phenomenon emerged, uh, and that was really the suburbanization uh, of large-scale white-collar activities. Uh, before that time, uh, the suburbs were considered a frontier, a risky uh, proposition to locate major employment facilities, white-collar employment facilities. And most of the office space in the broad uh, metropolitan region surrounding New York was concentrated in Manhattan. Probably the signature event was AT&T building a new corporate headquarters in Basking Ridge along 287. And that proved to be enormously successful. Uh, the labor force uh, was available, this white-collar suburban labor force, which uh, was uncertain before that point. Uh, and that success led to the great office building boom uh, of the 1980s in New Jersey. So that office building boom really transformed the New Jersey economy yet again. Uh, and by 1990, 80% of all the commercial space ever built in the history of New Jersey uh, went up in that 1980 to 1990 period. And there were some signature buildings put up during that time frame as well. 
Yeah, a number of uh, very, very large facilities, uh, certainly uh, different formats. You had Forest All Center in Princeton, which was uh, sold off in individual building lots. Uh, then you had the Carnegie Center, which is a uniform architectural uh, design, uh, but most were most proved to be uh, uh, enormously successful uh, in the marketplace. And, and there was also the, uh, the technology empires, if you will. Yeah, we had Bell Labs, uh, had been there earlier, uh, but uh, when uh, AT&T was deregulated, uh, particularly in the 1990s, subsequent to that uh, 80s office building boom, uh, we had the formation of new types of companies. Bell Labs became Lucent Technologies, uh, and actually uh, Route 78 became known as the Telecommunications Corridor because of the number of spin-offs uh, that were housed uh, uh, within that corridor. But that 20-year period was really the rise of a very sophisticated, knowledge-based information age economy. Uh, and again, it helped contribute to the continued prosperity uh, of New Jersey. And the other dimension of that transformation, uh, that 50-year transformation, uh, was that in 1950, uh, New Jersey's economy as measured by jobs was about half the size uh, of New York City's. Uh, by uh, the year 2000, uh, New Jersey's economy was about 7% larger. Uh, and so the growth patterns were mainly suburban in that 50-year period. Now, as we pr approached the new millennium, some dynamics shifted and things started to change. What happened then to make this uh, well, a different market? Uh, the suburbs uh, were no longer pristine. Uh, they became heavily developed. Uh, traffic congestion uh, had grown. Uh, we didn't keep up fully uh, with the maintenance of our transportation uh, infrastructure. Uh, so the suburbs were a little bit less appealing uh, than they had been, let's say, uh, in 1980. Uh, 20 years of growth had taken somewhat of a toll on quality uh, of life. Uh, we also had some demographic changes going on. Uh, the baby boom was really the driving force uh, in that 50-year period. Uh, but I think suburban fatigue set in. The baby boom was born, reared in suburbia, wanted to work in suburbia, lived in suburbia, raised its own family there. Uh, and all of a sudden, they were empty nesters. So they were looking for different types of, in, of environments. And then their children, echo boomers, as we got into the new millennium, began to enter the workforce. Uh, and they had a different value system uh, than their parents. They really wanted walking environments, activity environments, and the like. They didn't want to work in a building planted in a sea uh, of asphalt. Uh, so that was a contributing factor. Uh, and then uh, the economy itself began to change. Those large, uh, very large employers uh, started to downsize significantly. Uh, and in the corporate world, those insular corporate environments uh, started to fade away in popularity. And in their place, uh, they wanted more interactive spaces. Uh, they wanted environments where people could be 
stimulated. What are some of the implications of that demographic shift for people involved in commercial real estate development and design? Well, basically, uh, we have to reinvent our core competency, which is the suburban growth corridor. Uh, we were famous for that. Uh, we, were the, we were the case study of a successful transformation to that. Uh, but in many cases, those, those uh, office environments have to change. Uh, and again, they were uh, really one-use types of environments. They were just predominantly offices and no other level of activity. So we have to rethink uh, uh, some of those. Now, there is going to be market differentiation. Those facilities which are far, far out uh, are probably uh, in real trouble today. And we have two examples of that. One is BASF, uh, which about 20 years ago built a million square foot corporate headquarters in the free trade zone in Mount Olive Township uh, uh, along uh, Interstate 80. It's a location which now has very little housing for young people. Uh, in the ensuing decades, uh, farmland preservation, open space preservation, downzoning, and the like. Uh, left that uh, really a undesirable place to live for young people. Uh, a second example is uh, Merck in White House Station in 1991. It opened up a brand new corporate headquarters there, shifted people uh, from Rawway. In the ensuing years there, it became surrounded by three and five acre zoning. So that was a million square foot building. Uh, it originally housed 7,000 people. The entire business model changed. They didn't want people constantly in the office. People could work at home. Uh, they had a lot of traveling uh, to do. And so they're moving uh, all of those people to an inlying facility in Summit, uh, less than a mile from a train station, close to a downtown, and uh, a whole range of housing options surround that site. So it's a much more eco-boomer friendly uh, location compared to White House Station uh, in Hunterdon County. Jim, is there any silver lining in any of this shift for the urban cores of New Jersey, the, the economically challenged large cities? Uh, selectively. Uh, we have the traditional big six cities, uh, and certainly uh, Camden uh, is lagging badly, uh, Patterson uh, is lagging, uh, but Newark and Jersey City uh, are really the uh, potential beneficiaries. Uh, young people love to live in Jersey City. Uh, there's a whole range of up-and-coming neighborhoods. Uh, and uh, the office market in Hudson County is now has surpassed Morris County to become the largest office market in the state. Uh, and it now has the lowest vacancy rate uh, of any of the counties. In contrast, uh, Morris County has one of the highest vacancy vacancy rates. And so that's really a flip-flop from maybe 20, 25 uh, years ago. Uh, Newark has had some positive developments with Panasonic building uh, a new U.S. headquarters there, uh, Prudential potentially adding several new buildings. Uh, so yeah, some of those uh, urban areas uh, you know, are, are benefiting from this. And I think what we're going to see is some of the older inlying uh, suburban office parks, uh, which have a range of housing around them, uh, they potentially could be revitalized. Uh, we have a, an old site in Morris County uh, 
was originally the greatest energy research center in the country, ExxonMobil in Florham Park. Uh, and all those research buildings were knocked down after ExxonMobil decamped uh, all its research facilities to Virginia. So BASF located its new corporate headquarters there and abandoned its facility out in Morris County, outer Morris County, and moved it into to Florham Park. Uh, the Jets built their practice facility there. There are several other ventures that are ready to uh, come to fruition uh, at that site. Uh, you also have the Forrestal Center in Princeton. Merrill Lynch had a huge million square foot facility uh, that's now sitting vacant. It had moved to Hopewell. Uh, and Novo Nordisk, a Danish drug company, uh, is taking that building. It's stripped down to the bare bones. Uh, it's being reskinned, repositioned. Uh, and the like. Jim, do you have any guidance or suggestions, recommendations for people thinking about commercial office development in this new economy? What are some of the things they should be looking at? I think they're going to have to look at the uh, policies of individual municipalities uh, because uh, in many cases the zoning only allows uh, office buildings. Uh, and no other activity. So essentially they, the zoning creates these segregated swaths of territory that can only be for one use uh, and that's not going to work anymore. Uh, now the municipality, municipalities in New Jersey are always afraid of, of new school children and school costs so they're hesitant to add residential units. Uh, however, that may be the only way really to reposition those office parks by uh, adding new activities such as housing, some retailing, restaurants, uh, and other amenities. Uh, and the carrot in that, it's sort of a carrot stick situation whereby uh, if the municipality doesn't do anything, uh, doesn't really rethink its zoning, reimagine uh, its zoning on those sites, they could have zero rateables if the tenants ultimately uh, leave. So in order to maintain a property tax base, in order to maintain a healthy office market, they may have to take proactive uh, efforts in terms of making their zoning uh, more amenable to these 24-hour type environments that uh, echo boomers want today. I think what the study suggests uh, is that the suburban-centric New Jersey uh, is now history that dominated the state for a 50-year period. Uh, and we're seeing development uh, moving uh, back to more uh, developed areas. Uh, and New York City is certainly instructive for New Jersey uh, in this. Uh, 25 years ago, nobody would have thought that Brooklyn would, would uh, achieve the renaissance it's achieved the past 15 years and the like. So it has become a destination uh, for young households, even family-raising households, uh, and the whole borough really has uh, been revitalized and it's getting jobs moving from Manhattan to selected uh, places uh, in Brooklyn. Uh, so uh, we can see that we're seeing the same thing on the New Jersey side where you, we could consider Jersey City the sixth borough uh, of New York City. Uh, and we're going to have to build on that strength. Uh, 
we're going to have to, uh, and we've made significant investments in public transportation, and that certainly has paid the price. Jersey City would not have been uh, the state it is today without the Hudson Bergen light rail line, uh, as well as the, the PATH system. And we can see uh, the post-Sandy shutdown of PATH, how painful that was to Jersey City because of its dependence uh, on PATH. So there are lessons out there, uh, but I think the key one is uh, uh, the protocols of the past are not the protocols of the future. Uh, business as usual uh, is not an option. Uh, we really have to rethink all of our development strategies going forward. Well, it looks like there's a lot of planning on the table for commercial real estate professionals. And Jim, we thank you for joining us on the Commercial Intelligence Briefing Podcast. Uh, my pleasure. Jim Hughes is Dean of the Edward J. Blaustein School of Planning and Public Policy at Rutgers University. If you'd like to get a copy of the Rutgers Report, Reinventing the New Jersey Economy, New Metropolitan and Regional Employment Dynamics, visit the website policy.rutgers.edu. And for more information on NAR Commercial, visit the website realtor.org forward slash commercial. We produce these programs in the studios of Lubetkin Global Communications in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. For everyone at NAR Commercial and the National Association of Realtors, this is Steve Lubetkin. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you out there on the net. Take good care.